Peace to you. Welcome back to the Naked Truth and thank you for joining me. We're going to pick up where we left off in the Old Testament with the book of 1 Samuel. We've made it up to chapter 24. So believe it or not, we're almost through with this book. Um, so we're going to pick up with verse 1 if you want to read along with me. Let's begin. Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of en -Gedi. So Saul is the first king of the Jewish people um, um, in the same way that Jesus was um, uh, convicted of saying he was king of the Jewish people and then crucified for that since it was considered sedition, like January 6th would be considered sedition if it weren't a group of people with the white skin or a group of dark-skinned people, the reaction would have been a whole lot different. It would have been more like what happened to Jesus. There would have been death penalty on the spot. But you see, that's not how it goes in America. Um, so anyway, um, Saul, he's that king. He's hunting down David, who he's figured out is his replacement, and he's not ready to be replaced. So he's doing all that he can to find him. Philistines are another nation of people who live there in the area that the Israelites have gone in to uh, colonize. And so he's Saul, as the king, is getting uh, informants to tell him the whereabouts of David so he can find him. Um, and David, and, I don't know if I mentioned it, David is the same David and Goliath David. And Goliath was a Philistine before he was knocked off by David. Verse 2, Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel, and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So um, Saul has got himself an army too. David has a few hundred, something like 600 last count. Um, and Saul, being the king, he has even more. And he's going to hunt for David and find him. Verse 3, so he came to the sheepfolds by the, ro by the road where there was a cave. And Saul went in to attend to his needs. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. So um, it's not like it is now where there are bed and breakfast um, and running water, uh, plumbing, indoor plumbing and such. So when it says he went into the cave to attend to his needs, I imagine it's something like a toiletry type stuff that he's doing, but maybe other things, maybe he wanted to go in there and touch himself. It's no telling. He went there for some sort of privacy. But apparently the cave is deeper than he realized, or he obviously didn't realize David was in the cave because it says David was also in the cave, but deeper into it um, because he went into the cave and the person he's hunting is in there with him. Verse four, then the men of David said to him, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. So the army surrounding David are letting him know this is your chance. You can go ahead and pounce and take out your enemy. He's right there for you, uh, low-hanging fruit for you to pluck off. Um, but instead of David going ahead and killing him, assassinating him, um, like we've seen him um, massacre other people up until this point, instead he just cuts off a piece of his robe. So that sort of implies that Saul must have taken his clothes off when he was in the cave. That's why I'm thinking it's something like bathroom type, uh, a bathroom type break that he's in the cave for. Although, why he wouldn't go want to go in the cave and um, use the bathroom or number two when you're going to be trapped, have the smell trapped in there with you. 
rather than just go out in the woods. I'm not sure, but um, it's how it reads. So he's in the cave doing his business, and uh, apparently a piece of his robe was cut off by David to let um, to sort of signify that's how close he got to him. Verse 5, now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. <clears throat> Excuse me. So you may have heard the word recently. It's being bandied around a lot now since the whole Republican divisions are appearing. Remember we talked about those previously when I was telling you about 45 when we were on a different platform that he the threat for him isn't so much from the Democrats. It's going to be from turncoat Republicans. And um, you see now there's a division among them. And one of the words going around now is sanctimonious. It's um, it's sort of people who um, are make a show of their piety, who pretend to be righteous. and um, Or maybe just make a show of it, whether it's real or not. You see what he's doing here seems to give me that same sort of vibe uh, with David and cutting off the piece of the robe and it bothering him so much and all that. But it could just be me. Let's keep reading. So it's saying that he's upset with himself for having cut off a piece of the king's robe, even though the king has been hunting him and has tried to kill him several times up to this point and is the one who's got him on the run from his wife, from his soulmate, her brother, Jonathan, and has his family, his mama and daddy, hiding out with the Philistines for their safety. Yet it bothers him to cut off a piece of the robe of the man who's hunting him. So it it sounds very sanctimonious to me, but maybe it's not. Let's keep reading. Verse 6, and he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David, again, with the sanctimonious spirit, it seems, is saying, Oh, no, no, he can't dare put out his hand to oppose Saul since Saul is the one who is chosen by God to be the leader of the people. is basically what he's saying there. Um, let's keep reading. Verse 7. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to, to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. So again, it's saying he got up. So that sort of alludes to him squatting down or something that he was doing down for him to get up um, when he finished doing whatever it is he was doing in the cave. Um, and he went on about his business after he uh, finished what he was doing in the cave. And it seems David kept his art, the army, the men in his army from striking Saul when they could have, when he was right there for the plucking. Verse eight, David also arose afterward, went out of the cave and called out to Saul saying, my Lord, the King, and when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. So again, more sanctimonious behavior. Uh, would somebody really be acting that reverent to someone who's been hunting them, got them on the run from place to place to place, and openly tried to kill them again and again? It really seems unlikely, especially if you really have an army of people behind you um, ready to let you be the new leader. But it is how it reads. So David's showing reverence to Saul and bowing down to him and calling out to him after he left the cave. Verse 9, and David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of the men who say, indeed, David seeks to harm you, or indeed, David seeks your harm? So David is putting it on 
gossip as being the reason that Saul is hunting him down. Uh, but no one's put it in Saul's ear that um, David is out to get him. That's what's in Saul's heart for a long time now. And he was when he threw the spear at him those times when he was nearby and tried to kill him. And when he sent armies after him to try to kill him. And David, for whatever reason, is putting it on gossip, on letting it be other people's words that have put it into Saul's heart that David is out to get him. That's not how I, the story has read at all. So I'm not sure why he would say that, except for more sanctimonious stuff where he doesn't want to appear to be too um, unrighteous, I guess. Verse 10, look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered me, delivered you today into my hand in the cave and someone urged me to kill you. But my eyes spared you. And then, and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord for he is the Lord's anointed. So that's the sanctimonious part. If you're going to do a charitable deed, like Jesus says, let it be in secret. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So um, meaning if you're going to do something good, it should be so down low and so quiet that even as close as your left hand is to your right hand, a part of the same body, your left, left hand doesn't know what your right hand did. So meaning if you're going to do something righteous or charitable, then keep it a secret. Don't go broadcasting it. Don't make it. Uh, front page news because um, that robs the goodness out of it. The only reward you're going to get when you do things like that is the public acclaim that people give you. You're not going to actually get a reward from heaven, at least in the Christian teachings in the Gospels. And I'm paraphrasing there, but it's the same sort of spirit. Um, so now he's uh, letting Saul know he could have killed him right then, but um, because he's so um, precious in the eyes of the Lord, he didn't, and he kept his army from also killing him when he had the chance. Verse 11, moreover, my father, see, yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Now uh, know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. So, um, again, he knows that Saul is after him to kill him. So I'm not sure where all the reverence is coming from, but he's letting Saul know that he was just that close to him just a moment ago when he was in the cave, close enough that he could even cut off the corner of his robe. So if he really wanted to, he could have cut off his life, but he didn't. So he's proclaiming to Saul publicly that he spared his life when he could have taken it. Verse 12, let the Lord judge between you and me and let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. So I guess that part isn't so sanctimonious. He's making it clear that he's um, not going to be the one to get revenge for himself, even though that counters what we've read previously, the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth doctrine of the Old Testament, which again is not what Christian teachings are, um, where you turn the other cheek. Um, but he instead is saying that he'll leave it up to the Lord to uh, settle his case, to plead his case with Saul, and he won't take things into his own hands. Uh, verse 13, as the proverb of the ancients says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hands shall not be against you. So he's saying this proverb of the ancients, meaning there were other ancient, what we call scriptures, or at least sayings, of people even before what's in the Bible, because that's not a, a saying in the Bible uh, that we've read that I've seen. Wickedness proceeds from the evil. I, I mean, from the wicked. 
I haven't read that at all. And I, you can search it yourself. I don't think it's anywhere in the Bible before First Samuel or since it. But um, clearly it is something that was believed or among the religious teachings of people, maybe even just philosophically, um, back then, even up until this point, for him to quote it like that. Um, it may even be one of Maharabi's codes, um, something like from that, because um, we know that um, that code uh, is sort of comparable to the Ten Commandments, and it predates the Ten Commandments. So more than likely, it's something like that. But whatever it is, it's clearly something that's well known as a proverb for him to be quoting it like that. And again, it's not a proverb from um, the Bible. It's not in the book of Proverbs, um, but it is well known enough for him to quote it to him and let him know. And the meaning of it is uh, evil is as evil does. So if you're, if um, like Jesus says, out of the abundant, a good man out of the good treasure, his heart brings forth good and evil man out of the evil treasure, his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever's in your heart is going to eventually manifest itself whether it's something good or whether it's something evil, what's in you is going to manifest itself. Like they say, thought follow up, action follows thought. So whatever it is you're thinking, eventually you're going to act on it. So similarly, I think that's what David is saying there um, to Saul and letting him know, obviously, if he wanted to kill him, he could have if that was what was in his heart, but he didn't because it's not. Verse 14, after whom... Has the Lord, after whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? So now um, David is humbling himself, at least in his speech, to Saul, saying how um, much greater Saul is than he is. And why is he wasting his time with someone so, uh, some, so minor? Um, where is he so mighty? Um, be like chasing down or trying to pursue a dead dog or trying to hunt down a flea. He's comparing himself, um, making himself small in comparison to Saul's greatness. Again, out of flattery, it seems, partially, or just humbling himself to Saul to let him know that um, he's wasting his time and his energy pursuing something um, that's useless. Verse 15, therefore, let the Lord be judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. So um, he's saying, let the Lord judge who's righteous in these in, in their actions, whether it's Saul in pursuing David, who's done nothing to him, or whether it's David who spared Saul's life when he could have taken it, even though he was uh, hunting his, even though he was hunting his life. Um, verse 16, which, by the way, is probably a useful approach uh, in life in general, at least I find. That rather than try and seek revenge on people or get people back, pay people back, just leave it in the Lord's hands. Don't even dirty your own hands trying to avenge yourself. Let people reap what they sow. And for me, that goes for phony friends or even only family members. A fake love among family members, as uh, 50 Cent says. Who needs that fake love? Let people reap what they sow. Why dirty up your own conscience, your own hands, your own record in God's eyes by taking it upon yourself to um, uh, let somebody have it. Verse 15, therefore, oh, sorry, read that one. Verse 16, so it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul, that Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? 
And Saul lifted his voice and wept. So there we go again with Saul and his seeming mental um, breaks where he seems to have dementia or something. And we read it previously where he was the one who got David to come be a part of his um, crew when he needed a musician. And David was his musician. Then the next thing you know, he didn't know who he was. He um, specifically pleaded with his father or entreated his father, Jesse, to let him come stay with him and be his musician. Then the next thing you know, he didn't know who David's father was. So now he's acting as if, or at least it reads as if, he doesn't recognize that it's David who's calling out to him and uh, challenging his judgment in these things. Um, but at the end of that verse, he started crying. or uh, uh, So he seems remorseful for the fact that he's chasing him around through the mountains. Verse 17, then he said to David, you're more righteous than I, for you've rewarded me with good, whereas I've rewarded you with evil. So we've read that previously, where um, it is one, of the, that's one of the Proverbs, uh, or at least in, it's either in Proverbs or Ecclesiastes, where it's, um, I'm going to paraphrase it, it's, whoever re rewards evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. Uh, that one I keep in mind because so many times you try to do right by people and then they turn around and stab you in the back. I told you about the woman who I was in the IT class with um, getting my A-plus certification a while back now already. Um, and she was going through some issues and dealing with some things. And I did what I could to help her out. And she seemed grateful at the time. But then when the moment came, she stabbed me in the back. So um, again, I could try to take it upon myself to get her back or to, to do something in return. But why bother with that? Just leave it in the Lord's hand. Like I said, whoever rewards evil for good, evil will not depart from their house. She's had a hard time since then. She was already struggling before then, but she's had an even harder, she's had an even, she was having it pretty hard already up until then. Um, so uh, God only knows what's happened to her since. So what I can do is cut her off. Like Jesus says, treat them as a heathen or a tax collector, meaning avoid them. So um, it doesn't mean you have to maintain a relationship with people, family or not. Once someone wrongs you, you let them know they wronged you. And um, yeah, Jesus says, use um, by the mouth, um, take two or three witnesses with you. If they don't hear that, uh, take it to the church. So that would be like using scripture to let them know where they've gone wrong. And if they won't hear any of that, then treat them like you would a heathen or a tax collector. Meaning again, cut them off, um, leave them alone. So similarly, that's the approach I choose to take as a Christian, as it is again, how Jesus tells us to approach our relationships with uh, each other when we're offended by a brother. And it doesn't mean a blood brother necessarily. It means a fellow man, your fellow human being, that that's how you um, deal with it, not an eye for an eye and take it up in your own hands to go and take them out because they uh, wronged you. That's in the Bible. So people do do it, the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but it is not Christianity. So like I said again and again, the whole Bible is not Christianity. Uh, only that tithe, those six books out of the 60 plus books, have anything that Jesus, uh, that are even quotes attributed to Jesus, these red letters. Although this isn't the red letters since this is the Old Testament. So anyway, back to the, where we're at, verse 17, um, where he lets David know he was wrong uh, for chasing him down like that. And David has actually been 
more righteous and um, how he's been dealing with Saul than Saul has been in chasing David. Verse 18, and you've shown this day how you've dealt well with me. For when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. So Saul seems to be saying that he recognizes that David could have took him out when he had the chance, but instead he just cut off a piece of his robe rather than kill him. Verse 19, for if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you've done to me this day. So Saul right there is recognizing that David did spare his life when he could have killed him, but he's also admitting something else, that he is his enemy. And like I said, it's been clear from his other actions that he's his enemy, where he's tried to kill him on more than one occasion. He's even tried to kill his son because of their uh, soulmate relationship. He tried to kill his own son, Jonathan, when he um, saw that Jonathan was siding with David rather than himself. So clearly he is his enemy, and he's even said it right there in that verse. Verse 20, and now I know indeed that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. So now he, he's saying there that he recognizes the prophecy that he got two chapters for us ago when Samuel told him that um, he his time was up, that his kingdom was done and that a replacement was already chosen. Uh, he just didn't name the replacement. Saul seems to be acknowledging here for sure that he knows that it's David who's been chosen as the Lord's replacement for him as king. And that's like the first time that he actually says that, at least in the readings that we've done so far. Verse 21, therefore swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So now he's asking him to swear to him. That's a covenant. That's a vow that's similar to the covenant vow covenants and vows that he that David entered into with Jonathan the um contracts that he entered into with him um uh, where it didn't go into a whole lot of detail in most of them but in at least one of them they agreed to each with each other that basically come what may they're going to look out for each other's descendants after them uh Jonathan and and David would um that they'd um always look out for their um, children's children, their descendants. Um, verse 22, oh, so Saul is asking David to do the same thing for him, to um, look out for his children's children, his descendants. Verse 22, so David swore to Saul and Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. So they seem to have drawn a truce there where Saul has agreed to, um, or David has agreed to uh, look out for Saul and, and his descendants since he spared his life right then. But notice Saul didn't say that he was going to look out for David and his descendants. So it's kind of a one-sided treaty, but um, it is how it reads. Um, so David has uh, gone his way and Saul has gone his way. But I just happen to remember that that's not going to be the end of it. It's just the end of it for this chapter. And that verse was actually the end of this chapter. So that's where we'll end this reading. As always, thank you for joining me for The Naked Truth. I hope it's a blessing for you and that you'll join me again. I love you, and I'll see you next time. Peace be with you.